Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It reminds me this morning I, I spoke to um, one of the people in our congregation. He, he studies with me theology and um, we have a couple of categories of study. The first is biblical studies where we look at the books, you know, what they say, who's the author, and what's the content. Then we have theological studies that concerns the doctrine of certain things that we believe. And then we have practical studies, how practic- practically to live out Christianity and missiology, how to go on missions. And, you know, I'm said some of the stuff that he likes most is the theoretical subjects, you know, the, the biblical studies and the theological studies, because he wants to be a theoretical Christian. You know, just making a joke, you know, I want to know about Christianity, but I don't like the practical, I just want, want to make sure, you know, he did make a joke. He does want to live out Christianity practically, you know, and, and we laugh, but many times the, the church today, you know, we like that. We want to be only Christians that know certain things, you know, not live, live it out. You know, we live in an age where we've come to think that when we know certain things about a certain subject, then we have arrived. If Whether we apply that which we have learned, that's irrelevant. But if we know it, if we can be theoretical Christians, that's good enough. You know, and it, it, it made me think about a joke. And, uh, let's call the people in the joke Aubrey and Hanu. So Aubrey and Hanu, they're sitting on their farm. They have farms, by the way. They're sitting on their farms and uh, they're discussing about themselves, you know, how they are real good Christians. And Hanu turns to Aubrey and says, yes, Aubrey, we're good Christians, aren't we, you and I? And Aubrey says, definitely, Hanu, we 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 some of the best, you know. And Aubrey turns to Hanu and says, you know, for example, Hanu, if you had two farms, wouldn't you give one farm away? And Hanu says, easy, easy, Aubrey, I'll, I'll give that one farm away. And Hanu turns to Aubrey and says, and, and you, let's say, if you had two buckies, would you give one of your buckies away? Easy, says Aubrey. Easy, I'll give it away. And Aubrey turns back to Hanu and he says, okay, but how about if you have two sheep? Would you give one of them away? And Hanu says, hey, that's not fair. I have two sheep. <laughs> you know, and, and many times we, we live lives like that. You know, when it comes to the things that we don't have, or the things that we can't give away, then yes, easy. We'll do that. We'll give that away. We'll share that with the people around us. But when it comes to the things that we do have, that's unfair. We can't go there. And I really hope, you know, through these couple of sermons that we're going to go through, we're going to look at Ephesians 4 from verse 1 to 16 and divide it into a couple of sermons. I don't want to call it a sermon series because I don't know what Werner will be speaking uh, speaking about in between. But we're going to take Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 16 and divide it into a couple of sermons. And tonight we're going to look at the first one, the body of Christ, part one. And it's called, A Calling Worthy, A Body United. And then just to catch up about what I've spoken about the last while, we spoke a bit about discipleship. We had a small sermon series on discipleship. And the last one was the mandate of a disciple. What are we called to do as disciples? And we saw that we are called to go out and make disciples of all nations and we see the two key factors you know that jesus spoke about was the fact that he has all authority therefore we should go and the fact that he is with us till the end of the age and we saw that you know if we are with jesus he imparts love into our hearts 
He gives us authority and he sends us out into the world. And then we looked at John 13, you know, how does that look practically? And we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, saying that we should serve one another in love. And that is what he calls us to, but we have to receive that love in order to give that love. You know, in this passage, it speaks about the body of Christ building itself up in love. And we're going to look at that, you know, how does that look practically? But today we're going to focus on what do we need before we embrace or embark on this journey? What is the fundamental things that Jesus wants to establish in our hearts before we get to a place where we unlock our gifts and build each other up in love? Then we're going to look at where are we heading, where does this go to, and how are we going to get there? But let's just focus on the, the what do we need. And before I begin, I want to ask us a question. And uh, I hope by the end of these three sermons, or, or how many ever sermons we're going to do in this passage, that I can convince you to join a small group if you haven't already. And if you are in a small group... I wish to impart to you why we do small groups. You know, what is it that we do? One of the pastors in, in the Cape Town actually said it well. He says, we are not a church with small groups. We are a small group church. That is what we do. We come together in smaller groups. We live out the gospel. And that is necessary. And I want to ask us tonight, is it possible to live out the calling that God has for our lives without a small group? For me, the answer is no. I don't know what... What you just said to yourself, but I hope that in the end of these passages, we'll see that it is necessary to come together in smaller groups, to live out the message of the gospel with one another, and so fulfill the calling that God has for our lives. Maybe another question, you know, can we even grow to the place where we can fulfill our callings without a small group? My answer is also no. I don't know what you said to yourself, but again, I hope I can convince you. That the answer is yes. But look, let's look at these two fundamental things that Jesus wants to come and establish before we head on this journey. You can read with me on the screen. Ephesians 4, from verse 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one, in, with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the wives, of, wives and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Quite a big passage, you know, addressing a number of things. And uh, 
You know, to be honest, the first time I read through this and I came to this verse 16, I thought, shucks, we are in trouble. I'm in trouble. You know, because if we are honest with ourselves, you know, when we look at the average Christian, the truth is that the average Christian does not know what his gift is. And I don't know even how I should use it, but I don't know what my gift is. You know, the Afrikaans says that we should fulfill our function. You know, we don't know what our function is. We don't know what, what God has gifted our with or how to live this out. And I'm like, shucks, you know, if, if that is the case, then how are we going to grow? If we don't even know what our gift is, how are we going to apply that? How are we going to work properly and build one another up in love? You know, maybe I can ask us that question tonight. You know, do you know what your gift is? Do you know what God has gifted you with? Do you know what your function is? Do you know how to build the people around you up in love? Do you know how that is supposed to look? And I don't want to say it you know, in a condemning way that, oh, if you don't know, you're bad. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that that is something that God wants to come and work through us in this time. So if you don't know, say yes, amen. God is going to come and show me that. He's going to come and equip me with that. And he's going to lead me by his spirit so that I can fulfill that purpose, so that I can see what my gift is, so that I can learn how to build one another up in love. And you know, one of the, the key things concerning that is, is found in verse 2. You know, it says there that we should be humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. You know, and if we have this humility in our hearts and if we have this gentleness, then we allow the people around us to speak into our lives. You know, where we can actually discover our, our gifts, where we can actually grow into a place of, of knowing what we are gifted with. And at that place of humility where we regard others more significant than ourselves, we ask, but how can I build these people up in love? How can I serve them? And it's at that place where we learn where our gifts are and, and, and how we can use them. And I'm running a bit ahead of myself. We'll look at that next time. But just to give you a teaser. But look, let's look at one of the foundational things that, that Paul speaks about. It's found here in verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he writes this in, in the first verse, you know, with a, with a mindset half of, if this is not a desire that you have to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, then you can stop right here. You don't need to read the rest of the verses. Because it flows from this desire. And another one is the unity in the Spirit, and we'll look at that in a while. But if this is not something that you desire, if this is not something that you want to live out, then you can stop here because the rest of the text flow from this place. This is what I want to do. You know, and Paul gives it a bit of a, a twist you know, of, of authenticity when he says there, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And you know, just to create the guys, the context of which he's writing, he's writing from prison. He's not saying that the Lord took him captive, which he also did. The people actually took him captive. You know, and they lived in a time and in a context where when they really stood up for the name of Jesus and tried to live holy lives, they literally got thrown into prison and they got killed for their faith, for standing up, living out the gospel. You know, in many parts today, it still works like that. They will still get killed. They will still get persecuted. But in our context as well, you know, the Bible says that everyone who desires to live godly lives will be persecuted. Inevitably, we will receive some sort of persecution. Let's say, for example, I know some of us here, when we got baptized, maybe our, our parents or our family, they, they had a more traditional sense of baptism. You know, they didn't believe in, 
in water baptism, but in infant baptism. The moment we decided to take that step for God and really live in a manner worthy of a calling, we got persecuted. Who can identify with that? There are people here. There are some people. And, and we see that the moment we step up for Christ, we, we experience this persecution. And Paul is saying, listen here, guys, Jesus was being serious. He didn't make a joke. You know, when he said, you're going to be persecuted for my name's sake, it wasn't a joke. He actually meant it. I'm writing from prison to you guys. And he's not saying, because I've realized that Jesus didn't make a joke and we're actually going to be persecuted, lay low for a while. You know, let's get a nickname for Jesus or you know, some other, other word that we call this, this Christian gathering. Let's call, it, let's call it a disco. You know, we're going to the disco. To go and meet with the DJ. You know, it's not, it's not what he said there. He says, no, we should be more vocal and more alive for this Jesus that we are busy following. We should live lives worthy of our calling. And the way that he said is there is you know, giving a bit of authenticity to it. You know, and what he's saying basically is, you have received a new life and a new calling. Let your new life show that. You know, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 that everyone that is in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. We're supposed to be new creations. You know, and a lot of people today will say, no, no, no. That's a gospel of works. You know, we're not into that. And yes, we can turn this into a gospel of works. You know, we can get to a place where we say that I'm now going to try to work very hard to live a life pleasing to God so that he can save me, so that I can receive a calling, so that I can be gifted, and so that I can be used by God. That is not what's happening in this case, and it's not what Paul's busy saying. He says, I don't want you to live a life so that you can deserve your salvation. He's saying, I want you to live a life because you know how much your salvation deserves. You, know, you see the difference there. I see what God has already done for me. I see the calling with which he's called me and the gifts which he has gifted me with. And I know what that deserves. You now we spoke this morning about Um here. He was here in the service and he was sent uh, about 60 odd times or so overseas to go and represent Sassel somewhere. You know, and uh, he said, you know, the first time, yes, he was a bit nervous. Because it's a big deal, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good company. I mean, if you don't believe that, you work there. But it's a good company, great company. And it's an honor and a privilege to go and represent, represent Sussel somewhere. You know, and the people know that you walk in there with your Sussel jacket. You're representing Sussel. And you need to behave in a manner worthy to represent that company. You know, they don't just choose anyone. For example, when I was still in school, even in my early 20s, they would not have sent me. I would have not made a great representative. You know, many of you know me. My school wouldn't even send me somewhere. You know, if there, if there was a jacket that you could wear that said, now I'm one of the Brown family, I think my parents would have accidentally let it gotten lost as well. And they're the ones that are supposed to love me most, and they do. Um, but I was not a great representative. And... The, the, the gift and the calling that we have reserved far surpasses that of representing Sassel somewhere. You know, in, we read that last time in, in John 13, verse 21. Jesus says, up in verse 20, he says that if they receive you, they receive me. If they receive me, they receive the one who sent me. And I told the people this morning, maybe we should just be quiet for five minutes and try to let that sink in. We are called to represent the God of creation. It's kind of a, a big deal. You know, and I know because it's such a big thing, it, it has little effect on us sometimes because we can't comprehend it. 
You know, just let it pass by because shucks, that's, that's kind of a, a big deal to represent God, to go and show His love for the world. He's given us His authority, His spirit, to such an extent that without us, you know, without God working through us, little happens. Somewhere we've, we've become a little lax and He's beginning to speak to people in dreams again. You know, a lot of Indian people, especially Muslims at Mecca, they're coming to salvation because God is speaking to th- to, through them in dreams. Because we may be, as the church, a bit, a bit lazy. But he uses us. And he wants to work through us. And the second thing, you know, this is why our calling is so worthy of a good life. And the second thing is because this calling that we received, this gifts that we have received, it cost this God who we represent, the life of his only son. You know, we can read this on the next slide. It says here in Ephesians 4, verse 8 to 10. And just... You know, remind yourself of the context which, which we're reading this in. It's a context of us walking in a manner worthy of our calling. It's in a context of being united with the body of Christ. It's in the context of receiving gifts so that we can build one another up. And it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Speaking about Jesus coming to earth, showing us an example, dying for us on the cross, and rising victoriously, seated at the right hand of God, above everything, so that he can fill all things with himself. This gifts that we have received from Jesus, the church, our callings, was bought with the blood of Christ. It's not a cheap thing. It's worth much. And therefore we should see what it deserves. You know, and something so cool for me, it says there in the end of verse 10, that he might fill all things. And we read in chapter 1, verse 23 of this same book, that the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is us. That is our calling. That is what he wants to do through us. You know, like in the garden, people that know God, that walk in relationship with God to fill and subdue the earth. And wherever we go, we bring transformation. And maybe at the end we'll get to that as well. You know, how does that look for you being an engineer at Sassel, a teacher at the school, someone that works in the mines? How does that look? You know, to, to take the gospel there, to bring change there, to allow God to work through you there. And we're going to get there at the end, not of the sermon, but of the little series or whatever we want to call it. Um, and, you know, some of us, you know, we need to realize that we, we, we're in a place where a lot of people fight against growth. You know, I am who I am. You know, Jesus loves me the way I am. And that's true, but he wants to set you free of certain things. He wants to mature you, he wants to grow you, and he wants to allow you to look more like Jesus himself. You know, some of us, we need, we need to believe that, you know, that Jesus didn't come and die for you so that you can be one day in heaven set free from sin. He wants you to be set free now. Yes, we always have struggles and there will be stuff in our life that we struggle with, but he wants to set you free. The scripture says, with the sun sets free, he is free indeed. You know, neither did God place you here only to come here, die for you, and save you to get you into heaven. I mean, that makes no sense. Otherwise, we just skip this whole part and we will just automatically be in heaven. But we're here to glorify God. There's a calling on your life that you should live out so that it gives glory to God. You know, and if we are not called to grow, also there would be no other offices except evangelism. And he gave the evangelist. That would be that. No apostles, no prophets, no teachers, no shepherds. And our calling would consist of something like this, you know, me going to Vian and say, hey Vian, 
Have you heard about the love of Jesus? Oh, okay, I didn't know you didn't know. So I explained to him the, the message of salvation. He believes in Jesus. And I say, great, see you in heaven one day. And I walk away. Because that's what it consists of then. No, but God has called us to something, to fill the earth with his presence, to bring change, great calling, representing God, and fulfilling the calling he gave us. And the, the next verse sums it up quite well for me. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And it doesn't say that he died for us so that those who believe in him can continue living for themselves. No, we now live for him who for our sakes died and was raised again. And again, we see how much it deserves. That's why we want to live a calling worthy. Not so that he can forgive me, but because he already forgave me, I want to live a life worthy of my calling. Not because I want him to love me, but because I see he already loves me. I want to live a life worthy of my calling. No, so, no, not so that he can use me, but because he already wants to use me. I want to live a life worthy of my calling. And that takes us to the first point. Live a life worthy of your calling for the one who called you. And just also explain to us, you know, why should we, we live a life worthy of our calling? In Christianity today, we many times we know what we should do and how we should do it, but we don't always know why we are doing it. And the reason why we are doing this is for four reasons. The first is because it gives glory unto God, the way we live our lives. We see Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer, he prays. And then in verse 4, he says, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. If you want to live a life that gives glory unto God, fulfill your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That gives glory unto God. And then secondly, to appeal to the individualist nature in all of us, it is good for you as individual as well. Because this leads to us growing in maturity. You know, we read in verse, in verse 13, that then we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and the winds. Of human cunningness. You know, and some of us, we might feel like that tonight or in certain areas of our lives. We feel like children on a boat on the ocean, it's a bit rough, and we don't know where we are going. We don't know how this works. We don't know how to steer the ship. And when every new wind comes, then we're here, then we're there, then we're chasing this thing. And with certain decisions in our lives, we don't know what's the right choices to make. We continually make the, the wrong choices and we end up in bad situations. And many times we think to ourselves, no, but if I inform myself better about these things in life, then I will make better, better choices. No. When you want to live a manner worthy of your calling, you give yourself to the unity of the church and you allow them to build you up in love, then you will have stability in your life. You know, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastics, speaking about increasing in knowledge, but he visits this room kind of without, without God. And he says, I've learned that the more I increase in knowledge, the more sorrowful I become because the more I see what's wrong with the world. It doesn't bring stability. Allowing us to be built up into maturity, founded on Jesus, that will bring stability into our lives, for us as individuals, as families, and as a church. Then thirdly, it is good for the church. And I said in the beginning, I was a bit worried because how are we going to grow? But luckily the verse also says, with each member, 
with which it is equipped. So if you don't give yourself to walk in a manner worthy, if you don't give yourself to unity, then we are not equipped with you and you will not hinder the growth. Will it be better for us if you join? Yes. We need your gift. We're going to grow faster. We're going to grow better. We're going to grow stronger. But if someone does not want to grow, it's not going to hinder the growth of the whole church. So, so don't worry like I did. We are going to grow. Just slower without you. Please bring your gift and allow God to use you to serve the people around you so that we can be built up. And then fourth, for the sake of the world out there. And now we're going to see now that this life worthy of our calling, it consists of a unity with the church. And in that same prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, he prays in verse 21, and he says, Father, I pray that they might be one, like you and I are one, that the world might know that you sent me. By the lives that we live, by the unity that we have with one another, the world will know that God the Father sent Jesus to come and redeem them. You know, there's a guy that lived in the 1800s, a famous German poet, Heinrich Heine. I don't know who of you know him. None of you. And he had quotes like, experience is a good school, but the fees are expensive. You ever heard that quote? None of you. Shucks. Going to be more difficult to grow than I thought. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're here to know Jesus, not Heinrich Heine. But one of the, uh, one of the quotes that he said, um, and that most atheists actually used today, still against the church, because he wrote this quote for the church, was, show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. And that is quite a, a statement there. You know, show me that you are redeemed by the way that you live your life, and I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. It makes sense that, you know, when, when you want to see if someone is alive, you look at their body. Is it still functioning? We want to see if the head Jesus is truly alive. Look at his body. Is it still functioning the way that it should? You know, and it's actually sad because the, the greatest thing that atheists use or try to use to disprove the claims of Christianity is the way the Christians behave. And I said the Christians because I'm excluding myself. I'm just making a joke. I'm sometimes very much part of that. But we should live lives worthy of our calling to give glory unto God, to show the world that Jesus is truly alive. And what it basically comes down to, and we're going to look at that now, is being united as a body. You know, coming together, allowing God to work in us, allowing the people to speak into our lives, and allowing us to serve the people around us. There's a lot of aspects, and we're going to look at that in the, in the weeks to come. But now let's just look at this unity. It says here in Ephesians 3, from verse 3 to 6. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You know, that baptism there doesn't refer to, to water baptism. We read in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, and it says, Through one Spirit we were all baptized into one body and make to drink of that same Spirit. It speaks about the moment we come to salvation, when the Holy Spirit regenerates us. You know, we read that in Titus 3. You can go and read that by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He comes and does a work in our lives, a regenerational work. And the moment we give ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, we get baptized into His body. and We become one with the brothers and the sisters. Isn't that great? You know, maybe you're thinking of some people and thinking that's not so great. But if we receive Jesus, our big brother, we also receive all our small brothers and sisters as well. 
which is great sometimes and not so great other times. You know, and, and again, Paul is saying here that if just like you want to live in a manner worthy of your calling, if you don't want this unity, if you don't give yourself to this unity, if you're not eager to maintain it, then you can also stop reading just here. The rest of it flows from this unity. Without this unity, there's no working together. There's no building up of one another in love. There's no speaking into my life. There's no speaking into your life. Without this unity, nothing happens. There's no growth. This is essential. The world does not see that Jesus is sent by the Father without this unity. Nothing happens. We need to be united together. And I also want to say, you know, that this is not a black, gray, and white scale here. There's two colors, white and black. Yes or no, in or out. You know, either you are part of this one body of Jesus or you are part of no body of Jesus. There's only one. There's not a lot of them. Only one. Either you are part of it or you are not. And it's also not a debate because it says there in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one Lord and the one Lord said, I want unity. And the one Father who works through all and in all said, I want unity. And like we just read, you know, we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for Him who for our sakes died and was raised again. And he desires this unity from us. And also just to say that, you know, what does this unity mean? You know, how does it look like? Because many times we believe that unity in the church means that I'm not fighting with people in the church. No fighting equals unity. It's not what the text is trying to say. It says we have one hope that belongs to our call. Meaning that there's a certain desire in our hearts, one hope that we wish to see, and one calling that we have received. We all have individual callings as well, but it will fit into this overarching calling of God. To bring all people to himself, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and to build up the body of Christ. Now, and to be honest with, with ourselves tonight, if you look at this year that has passed, what has been your hope, your focus? And then many of, of us as a church, we, in, we unintentionally, we get this right. Obviously, it's, it's in a sense a part of what we're trying to accomplish, to build up the body of Christ. But is it intentionally what we're trying to accomplish? Is it a hope in your heart that the body of Christ be built up? Are you intentional about it? Because then we are truly in unity. Some of us are accidentally in unity, like I said. You know, we, we, we accidentally do this. But we need to be intentional about it. Because Jesus said we must be eager to maintain this unity. It's not something that's just going to happen by itself. Because we're human. In fact, if we let it happen by ourselves, there will be disunity. Like we've seen in a lot of places in Christianity, disunity, that happens by itself. We don't need to try to focus to do that. We need to focus on unity. That's what we need to focus on. And just something that I want to, to bring us attention to is that we should not create unity. We should maintain it. The unity is already created. It's already there. It's a spiritual reality. It says there, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, what is the bond of peace? So in the same book, chapter 2, we read in verse 17 and 18, speaking about Jesus being crucified and resurrected so that he can unite people. Now, that's also why he died, to bring unity to the church and to people. Speaking specifically about Jews and Gentiles in this context, but about all people. So he says, I preached peace to you who were far off, speaking about the Gentiles, and peace to you who were near, speaking about the Jews, so that we all have access in one spirit to the Father. That is the bond of peace. 
But Jesus came, he reconciled us to God, but he also reconciled us to one another so that we can live in unity. And the next slide actually sums it up quite well for me as well. Galatians 3, 27 to 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you all are one in Christ. So if a girl in church picks a fight with you and she says you can't eat a woman, exclude it. No male and female. <laughs> I'm just making a joke. But don't do that. Um, when it comes to that, there's still male and female. And also in relationships. So let me just say that as well. Because that's a big topic these days. So just to also say this in our context maybe, you know, in the South African context. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. Black and white. Afrikaans or English, Sutu and Zulu, we all are one in Christ. This is what Jesus came to establish by dying on a cross for us. And I, I want to just you know, throw a warning out there. If you struggle to be in unity with people of a different race, gender, or language, you are actively working against what Jesus bought with his blood. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. So being unity with those people, Jesus came and purchased that unity on the cross for us. And that takes us to the last point for tonight. Be eager to maintain the unity established by the Spirit, bought with the blood of Jesus. And then for those of us, like I said, we're human. So this doesn't mean that there won't be disunity. This doesn't mean that there won't be striving and fighting and you know, issues with one another. That'll be there. But as long as you have a desire in your heart to maintain the unity in the Spirit, you're in a good place. But if you don't have a desire to maintain that unity, then we're at a bad place. Because we're working against what Jesus came to establish and what the Spirit is working amongst us. And that is not something that we want to do. You know, and some people might say, no, where, you know, where, where do you get this from? You know, again, stuck at Jesus only came to save us, free grace theology. Jesus only came to save us. That's the only thing he purchased with his blood. This is not God's plan to unite people. How can you say he purchased this with his blood? But again, in the same book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 10, we read that this was his mysterious plan. For at the fullness of time, he might unite all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus. That was his plan. To bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth under one new head, and that head is Jesus. He purchased this unity with his blood. And also to say to us, you know, and this is a big thing. This does not mean unity per congregation. This does not mean that we are supposed to live in unity as shofar. And kraik is supposed to live in unity as kraik. The NG kerk as the NG kerk. Lighthouse as lighthouse. And the other churches as the other churches. No, there's one body. Those are also our brothers and our sisters. And we are called to live in unity with them. And then a big thing that we've heard these days is now, but because I have studied the Bible, which implies that the other people didn't, but because I've studied the Bible and I've come to this certain knowledge and these doctrinal truths, it, it keeps me from, from being united with those people. And this unity doesn't mean we need to agree on everything the Bible says. But we read in verse um, 13 of the same chapter. It's not on the boards, by the way. Um, and it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's two things that we need to attain to. A unity in our faith 
and a unity from the knowledge of the Son of God. And that means that when we truly grow in knowledge of the Son of God, relational knowledge and theoretical knowledge, it will lead to unity in the body and with all believers. So if you are thinking that your clever reading of Scripture keeps you from being in unity with other churches, that is not the wisdom that comes from God. In fact, even if they really understand it wrong, remember we have the same goal to build up the body of Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if you see they understand it wrong, and you say that you can't walk in unity with them, then what you are busy doing is, you are not giving yourself in service of the body to build those people up in love, you are not maintaining the unity that Jesus bought with his blood, and you are not walking in a manner worthy of your calling. Please don't do that. It's not a great place to be. And it builds pride in our hearts. You know, we are better than, we know better than these people, these churches. But if we truly know Jesus, and we truly see what he came to taught and did, we see that even if I know correctly and they don't, it's only by the grace of God. I have no place to boast, no place to exclude myself from them, but I will humbly give myself in service to see that they also grow into a place where this knowledge of these doctrines that they have wrong, or maybe I have wrong, gets revealed to them, and we both can be built up in love. And I just want to end off with this following scripture. And as we read through it, just see what, what God is saying to you tonight. You know, what one point is he pointing out to you? And it speaks about three things in this passage. The first is lame members, meaning that I don't know what my function is. I don't know what my gift is. And I don't know how to build the people around me up in love. And we'll see that God's desire for those members is that they don't be dislocated, but they be established again. That they come healing. And that you re re um, receive your gift, receive your calling, and know what your function is. The second is to live a holy life with which no one will see God. If you see that you did not walk in a way or in a manner that's worthy of your calling the last while, looking back, sure, I don't know if the way I lived my life represented Jesus. That's okay, there's, there's grace for that. We all will go through times and seasons like that and we all will do stuff that won't represent Christ and that won't look godly. But there's grace for that. And then lastly, is the root of bitterness. If you see that there's something in your heart that is causing you to walk in disunity with people, whether it's the body of Christ, a certain believer, or with your family. Let's remove that tonight. So I just want to read it to us, then we can stand and pray. It says here, Therefore lift your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that you, no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Let's stand tonight and pray together. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can just come, Lord, and, and lay ourselves down at your feet tonight, Lord. And like we sang earlier, Lord, just come and surrender everything to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as we just went through this passage, Father, and as this last slide is still on the board, Lord, I really pray, Lord, that you come and reveal to hearts, Lord, and show to us, Lord, where we, where we need to focus on. And maybe you're standing here tonight and you're saying to yourself that I don't know what my gift is.
I don't know what my function is. I don't know what I've been called to do in the body of Christ. You know, and some of us, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, we will even realize that we have no desire to know that. I don't want to know what my gift is. I don't want to know what my function is. And I don't want to build the people around me up in love. And that is, if, if that is you, you don't have that desire or you simply don't know what your gift is, I'm not going to call anyone forward tonight, but just there where you're standing, just pray to God and ask Him to come and give you a desire to build the body up in love, to come and awaken your hearts to love. Because it's a love for God and a love for the people around us that will allow this to manifest through our lives. If we see how much God has done for us, and we see what He has gifted us with, and we see the need of the people around us, we will begin to serve them out of love. So that is you just there where you're standing, just pray to God and say, Lord, come and show me, Lord. Come and show me what my gift is. Come and show me what you've placed into my life. Come and give me a desire to build the people around me up in love. And if you continually ask yourself that question, you know, how can I serve the people around me? You will know what your gift is. You will discover your gift and you will activate your gift just by focusing on the people around you and asking yourself, how can I serve them? And maybe you're standing here tonight and, and you're thinking back on the last year of your life and, and you're saying, you know, but that did not reflect Jesus at all. That does not look like the Christian life. And God is saying to you tonight that that's okay. We will fall short. We will make mistakes. And He's here to pick us up. And the reason why you are here is that He wants to come and forgive you and to cleanse you. And He wants to come and make you holy so that one day you will see God. You will stand with Him face to face and He will say, Welcome, my son, my daughter, into the kingdom of God. So if that is you, just... Again, there where you're standing, lift up your voice to God and say, Lord, just come and forgive me. Come and wash me clean. Holy Spirit, come and work in my life and allow me to live a life worthy of my calling. Come, make me holy as you are holy. And then the last couple of people, maybe if you're here tonight and, and you experience a root of bitterness in your heart, bitterness to, to a specific person, maybe it is to the body of Christ, maybe you've gotten hurt in church, or maybe it is to a family member or something that's happening in your family, Pray to God and ask Him to remove that root of bitterness because it will bring harm to many. Forgive that person and ask God to give you the strength to show love to them. If that is you, just raise your voice there where you're standing and pray to God to remove that root. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can stand here before you tonight, Lord, and, and pray together as a congregation, Lord. I pray, Lord, for people to receive their gifts, Lord, to know what they are called to, Lord and to know how they should function in the body and build the people around them up in love, Father. Come and give us a love for one another. Come, come and give us humility, Lord. Meekness, lowliness. Come and remove the prides from our hearts, Lord, that stop us from serving the people around us and stop us from being served by those around us. Come and give us love, Lord. And thank you, Father, for forgiveness flowing in this place, Lord. You're washing people clean, Lord, because the lives they lived were not lives as they should have lived, Lord. And that's okay. Because that's why you came and died for us. That's why your grace is available. And you say, do not receive the grace of God in vain. It doesn't mean that we can go on living like we, we did, but it means that God will always forgive us and give us the power to live a new life. And if there's specific sins in your life, if you're thinking about stuff that you've struggled with for years, bring those things before God. He wants to come and heal you tonight. And thank you, Lord, that you are removing roots of bitterness, Lord. 
that keeps people from living in unity with the people around them. We pray, Father, that you'd remove that root, Father, that forgiveness will flow from their hearts to those people and that you would give them the strength to love those around them. In Jesus' name, amen.